Hello there, and welcome to the Punch Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And this is our first episode on the Fire and Water Network. Woo! Which I suppose means, at least in theory, we've probably got a whole bunch of people who don't already know who we are. So maybe a, a little bit of background and info on us, I suppose. So, um, if, if you're not a stranger to the Fire and Water Network, you might know my voice already. I've guessed it on a couple of other folks' shows. I have been reading uh, comic books in one form or another for oh, about 25 years now. Um, and yeah, lifelong geek. And I'm coming to it from a different approach. I am a school librarian. Um, for two um, K through eight schools in central Vermont and graphic novels are growing ever more popular in both my schools. Um, so a lot of the things I pick are books that my students actually read and really enjoy. And yeah, I realized we introduced ourselves, but we kind of skipped over what the show actually is. So the... <laughs> <laughs> I'm organized. You're You'll... important. And so is our show. <laughs> yes. Um, our remit um, and sort of our guidelines is we take a look at graphic novels or trade compilations with female protagonists. Um, and we, own, we have a couple of basic guidelines that we operate under. Um, it, it, if the type, well, graphic novels and trades only. We don't do individual comic book issues. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. If the title is a character name, it has to be a female character's name. Or if the uh, title is a team name, that team has to be made up of more than 50% female characters. So that does take off the table stuff like, like I would argue that something like The Max is really about the female character. But she's not the title character, so that we're not going to go there with that. But pretty much within those parameters, anything goes, regardless of genre, you know, the age group that it's aimed at, anything else. Yeah, it's it, it's all on the table, which means we have a huge docket. Oh my goodness, it's an ever-growing list. <laughs> yeah. Right now, the schedule on this show is monthly. We're going to be at this for a long time. Years and years. Yes. So and we hope you like us. <laughs> we we hope so because we got a lot of stuff to get through. So we, we tend to, we didn't plan it this way, but we've kind of settled into a rhythm at this point of kind of alternating between stuff that I kind of bring to the mm -hmm. table and stuff that Liz does, um, which usually means we're alternating between something usually superhero at the very least decidedly geeky and then something that is more aimed at a slightly younger audience and usually not um, as inherently geekified, I suppose. There's, yeah, there's tends to be more realistic fiction in terms of the genre I bring to the table um, because we're seeing more and more of that in graphic novels, especially with this author, which this is not quite as realistic fiction as much as her usual stuff, but um, we'll get into that in a minute. We will. So um, we had tried to figure out where to, because Fire and Water Network, by and large, this is a geek-driven network. It, 
it might have been more appropriate to start with like a superhero or something like that, but we decided to go seasonal instead. And it's October. So uh, Liz brought to the table Ghosts by Raina Telgemeier. Um, so is there any, before we start getting into plot or anything else, is there any background you want to give on this? Um, so Raina Telgemeier um, sort of brought a boom in graphic novels for, I'd say, late elementary students. I mean, even as young as second grade, second grade to like middle school, basically. Um, and certainly brought more females into reading graphic novels because her protagonists are always females. Her first big one, which won a lot of awards, including the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Award, which is for Vermont fourth through eighth graders, um, was Smile. And she also did Sisters, um, which was sort of a follow-up to it. And those were both largely autobiographical. Um, she has another one with a, which is a little more geared a little older called Drama, um, which is about a drama club and got some heat because it featured a gay couple and was a banned and challenged book, which we are um, recording this during banned and challenged book week. So shout out to all the banned and challenged books out there. Um, Woo! Woohoo! We love them. Go go read Where the Wild Things Are. Yes, we, we just did that as well. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lorax. Um, so, um, again, she's very popular. This was a little bit of a different um, take for her. She still is focused on two sisters. Um, the older sister, because that is what Raina is, is usually the protagonist um, and has some issues with the younger sister. I will confess, as popular as they are, I have not yet read Smile or Sisters, um, largely because they're not in my library long enough to ever read them. Um, they get taken off pretty quickly, nor have I read drama. The other thing that Raina is working on, um, sort of ongoing, is um, illustrating a graphic novel version of the Babysitter's Club series. Um, and she has several of those that have been published as well. Mm -hmm. um, and oh. most of her stuff is through Scholastic, um, more specifically Graphics, which is Scholastic's graphic novel um, branch. Yep. And the other thing, because I, I just saw this, uh, you mentioned the Dorothy Canfield Fisher Award, but Sisters and Smile are also Eisner winners. Yes, um, so she's for for the the type of things that she does she she has built herself a pretty solid name yes and drama is an ala stonewall or honor book so yep mm -hmm. so um yeah we're gonna do one really quick promotional break and then we'll come back and we'll do the synopsis and get into this i will insert that Okay, so Ghosts is written and illustrated by Raina Telgemeier, and the coloring is done by Brayden Lamb. And the story is actually pretty basic. As Liz already mentioned, it, it focuses on two sisters. So it deals with this family. It's a mixed-race family. Mm -hmm. As they move from the 
town that presumably they've been in for most of the kids' lives, up the coast to uh, to Northern California, to a fictional town, mm -hmm. um, in the interest of the younger girl Maya's health, because she has cystic fibrosis, mm -hmm. and the uh, the climate where they're moving is supposed to just be better for her. Um, the I mean, ocean breezes, yeah. the wind, everything. Yeah. yeah. Help her breathe better. Um, so they're, they're doing this and everyone's kind of on board with why they're doing it, but the older sister, Kat, is not exactly thrilled mm -hmm. about where they're going. And once um, they arrive there, she quickly realizes that the town has uh, a bit of a reputation and is kind of very much into its own reputation as uh, a bit of a ghost town, a literal ghost town mm -hmm. um which uh is a lot of the information on that is fed to us by uh a boy who she meets it was carlos carlos is his name yeah yes. and um so carlos he, calavera and we will get back to his last name later on <laughs> well I, I i do know that last name but that's that's because of a gaming connection because i played grim fandango back in the day but <laughs> Again, long-time geek. Um, so, so Carlos kind of serves as exposition um, for a lot of this, but we do then introduce ghost features, and it um, it eventually builds to um, Dia de los Muertos, uh, the Day of the Dead. And I'm not going to go in point for point into too much beyond that. I think we'll bring up points as we get to them, which does mean as we go along we'll get into spoilers mm -hmm. um as, as we tend to do uh but yeah that's that's the broad strokes was there anything that i left out before we kind of get into it i don't think so no okay um so oh overall i i liked it for the most part it was it, for me at least because we we <laughs> We read very differently. This was a very quick read for me. I read the, the whole thing in about 40 minutes. Um, and it's, it's, it's about 240 some odd pages, but it, it reads very quick. Um, and it, it moves along at a, at a brisk pace and it's very easy to just, to just breeze through. And the art is, the art is very nice. It is it is stylized, but it's um, very good at sort of bringing out the emotion of the characters. And it it is slightly cartoonish, but it doesn't overplay that. It can get uh, it can pull some decent emotion out of the moments. It um, uses big eyes very effectively, yes. especially with the younger sister Maya. <laughs> there are a lot of big eyes. Um, as far as the characters go, cat bothered me a little mm, me um maya i liked a lot maya was adorable carlos was really sweet um her parents were were pretty they i appreciated that they didn't do a lot of the um sort of artificial distance the parents from the kids kind of scenarios where like the parents are always working and they don't understand <laughs> it's like no these are some pretty chill parents all things said and done um what I can't be sure, whenever we read something that is aimed at a younger age group, I don't know how much to hold against a book for um, basically falling into cliche. Mm. Because 
there are things that I, as an adult reader, read and go, yep, yep, yep. I mean, I think the the relationship arc between Kat and Carlos is the is the, oh yeah, it's is, very predictable. Is the really easy one, but at the same time, when I think about who it's actually aimed at, I'm like, is it cliche at that age? At, at that age, have they seen it so much that it's like, oh god, this again? And I honestly don't know that, so I don't know. When, when I take that into account, I don't know whether to knock off uh, in my assessment for it as much as I kind of want to because I, because narratively it bothers me, but it's like, uh, is it more okay to be cliche when you're aiming at an can age I, that maybe they don't know? I don't know. If I can speak to that a little bit. Um, for my students, it's very much like they kind of like having the tropes and the cliches because mm. it's... Again, um, if they're just starting out reading graphic novels and it's a whole new format for them, it's like, oh, this is familiar. I know this. Like, okay, I can predict this, but isn't this comforting? You know, it's it's a good thing for them. Um, they like a big thing with elementary education is trying to find connections in reading and to what you're reading. And mm. so being able to connect it to other books that they've read or... Um, especially in terms of realistic fiction and drama with friends and siblings and things like that, um, connect it to their own lives. So real life connections are really important. That actually makes a lot of sense. And I suppose what I could say is, again, as, a, as an adult reader, I'm like, eh. As an adult, yes, it, it does feel but, a little predictable. But I suppose I can say that it it's you, it's, it's it, given the age that it's aimed at and how well Raina Telgemeier seems to understand that age, given how well her books do. I think it seems to be an appropriate use of tropes, and maybe I'll 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 go with that, or at least at least in terms of the sorts of tropes that I was picking up on, in terms of you know the 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 character arcs, in terms of the how Cat was jealous of Maya, and how Cat relates to Carlos, and like okay, these are tropes, but she uh, she's not doing it because she's lazy. She's doing it because it plays to the audience she's writing for. It it really does. They they will appreciate it. Um, most of them, in it, anyways. There will be some more sophisticated readers as they get older, especially that have moved me on this and want something, you know, a little more exciting in their graphic novels and a little more, you know, like, whoa, surprise. And um, for something like that, if they want a little bit like... Hand them whoa. Ghost in the Shell, watch them come crawling no, back like, and go, no. I'll, 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 re I'll read Smile. No, ah. I was thinking more like Coraline is where the graphic novel <laughs> version of Coraline is where I might steer them, which was, I read with my um, middle schoolers this year, uh, they got to self-select, and some of them um, self-selected Coraline, the graphic novel version, and they were thoroughly creeped out by it and really enjoyed the illustrations. So that, nice. that might be where I would steer some certain more sophisticated readers. So, I mean, I've given sort of my broad strokes. What, what, were, what were yours in terms of, of you know, your, your first read on it? I really liked Maya. She's adorable. She's plucky. She's funny. Um, she's got those huge eyes. I think every comment I wrote in my notes about her started with, oh, <laughs> <laughs> she just plucks at my heartstrings. Um, you know, she's going, I'm, I'm a sucker for 
vulnerable children. And so I just loved Maya and I just, you know, uh, she broke my heart a little bit and I want, I was rooting for her every step of the way. Um, because of that, I think her sister Kat sort of annoyed me. Because, I, yeah, because Kat was, Kat, a Kat is, Kat is a tween. <laughs> she is a mm. quintessential tween. Mm. She is overprotective of her sister, yet at the same time desperately seeking to make her own friends and doesn't really want to be forthcoming about her family situation. Um, I don't really want to say she's ashamed or embarrassed by Maya. I think she just doesn't really know how to explain it all. Mm. And I think, but I think she's very terrified for Maya and that leads her to react um, pretty severely, especially against Carlos. Um, she, she, also, she takes a lot out on him early on. She doesn't really do a great job of taking responsibility for her own actions. Mm. She does a, she plays a lot of the blame game on Carlos. So if they're going to continue the little romance that they hinted at, I, I would be very cautious if I was Carlos. <laughs> it's fun. I, th I think you actually hit on something there with... Because it, it hadn't occurred to me that maybe part of the reason Cat doesn't work so well is... Because Maya is so great a character, and mm -hmm. I really think you can't help but love her, mm -hmm. that when Kat finds her annoying, it kind of immediately turns you against her. It's like, what are you talking about? She's awesome. Don't, don't get all weird about this awesome little kid. And it's sort of... And I, I suppose it's because, I mean... Ideally, there's a balance, but I mean, what's the, the flip side alternative? Is the little sibling who is so annoying, you kind of... Yeah. You, you kind of wish they would just stay bedridden. Mm. Yeah, you don't really want a situation, because it has been done too, um, usually with much younger children where the older sibling is, is a more sympathetic protagonist and they want to get rid of the little sibling, you know, like in a sort of labyrinth type way but book of lost things is another example um and usually it's like a infant sibling in that yeah case. um i do love my and maya actually the the other thing that i really love about maya is they they bring just enough in about her understanding of her own situation because cystic fibrosis is is not curable and it is degenerative Mm -hmm. and, and they do mention that. In it, the they mention that, but more than just them mentioning that, she understands that. Mm -hmm. So, like, when she finds out that ghosts are a big thing in this town, she really wants to meet one. And you don't really know why at first, and you almost want to chalk it up to just her sense of adventure. But then you find out she wants to ask what it's like to die. Mm -hmm. And that's a moment that kind of makes you go, oh, Oh, <laughs> there are some really serious things going on in this book for what is essentially a lighthearted graphic novel. There is some, there's some serious, serious, like heavy lifting going on in terms there of is, emotions. That said, it doesn't ha it doesn't go for the throat with the ending. It could have, and actually, no. I was half expecting it to. Yes, but it does not. It Spoiler does. Spoiler alert: Maya makes it through the ending. Yes, Woo. Maya does not die at the end of this story. And there's. Honestly, there's I I think it was kind of ambiguous about whether or not like how much longer she was gonna live. Like, yes, she could 
she could die, but maybe they talk about like, oh, next year you'll come with me to the mission party and everything, and like it could happen. So. Yeah. Yeah. At I, least that's how I felt about I it. I mean, the, there's no, there's no, there's no. I mean, I was gonna say there's no death sentence. There is the the mm. condition she has will eventually kill her, but there's no no one's put a ticking clock on it at the end of the story. It ends on a on a fairly uplifting note. Yeah, it's pretty upbeat. Um, food party yay yes food. <laughs> the other thing that i wasn't that i kind of went back and forth on in terms of whether or not it was working for me was was the ghosts themselves and how they literal well not necessarily how they were depicted but how tangible it all was i guess i've gotten very used to um the you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's not approach, or at the very least, maybe a slower build to it. Because pretty much once they go to the mission, it's round the corner and, oh, there's a whole bunch of ghosts. Like, there's no quick, they are real and they are right there. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of caught me off guard. Not in a way that I think is necessarily bad, but I was, I was a little bit like, oh, that's okay. I think the point where it, it did lose me a bit towards the end though, um, and again, I was kind of going with it because what, when I took it out of the specific context and thought in the broader strokes, well, I mean, if it's a story about folklore claiming that the folklore is real, it's following that template where it's like, yes, this this folklore has is a real thing, and that's kind of what you yes, see it, in yeah. in the we'll, we'll get there, but that, <laughs> and, and, and that's but that's what you tend to see in these kinds of stories aimed at a younger audience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, oh, look, there really is a leprechaun. Oh, look, there really is, you know, earth magic or whatever it is that they're, that the story's being based around. Mm -hmm. It usually goes with the idea that it is in some way real. The point at which it lost me, though, is when, go was the point where ghosts were holding their hand and flying people yeah. through the sky. That was the point where it's kind of like, that, mm, now you've, uh, now you've lost me. Like, is, the, is this a ghost or is this Christopher Reeve Superman? Because... Yeah, there is some issues um, with some children's fiction. Not just in graphic novels, but there was um, a book I was reading that was on the current Dorothy Canfield Fisher list. Where it's like, you're trying to balance this heavy, realistic fiction aspect of like a disease or... In this other book I was reading, in this case it was Heroin Addiction of a Sibling. Wow. With fantasy and like these fantasy aspects, which has to be done delicately and really well done. Yeah. I, and I, I don't know how you do it because then it, you can also try to do too much and like cover everything a little bit, but not go deep enough. And I think that is an issue in this novel. Well, I feel like in this one, it, it really was, it, it wasn't a question about, it really was a line. And when they started flying, that was, that, yeah. they, that was when it crossed it. Like it had been edging up to it, like, like um, okay, maybe. but then that happened. I'm like, oh uh, yeah. I also, for a book called Ghosts, until like the last, 
I don't know, 40 pages, 50 pages or so. There weren't a lot of ghosts. Like, they'd be here and there, and I was like, I want more ghosts. Where are they? And then it's like, ghost party, woo! And I want to go a little deeper into... Well, like, okay, we'll the get history of it. Well, I'm not I'm not criticizing yet. Okay, why? But I'm just saying from a storytelling aspect, I wanted the ghosts to be more prevalent throughout. But I also get that they were telling a sister story, and they were telling a story of a family that had moved and that they have to settle in, and that they were telling a story about a little girl who was sick. So there was a lot of a lot of things going on. Yeah. And, and the one thing I'll say is that didn't bother me, but again, that's because for me it was such a fast read that, yeah, the ghosts don't really kick into the back half, but I got there so quickly, it didn't, I didn't feel like it was lagging. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's just because I, Maybe I, I read the thing too fast. Maybe I should take notes. <laughs> you yeah, so folks, if you're new to the podcast, you'll learn this really quick. Liz takes notes and does research. I don't, <laughs> so. So you read a lot faster. You still have a lot to say. I'm always impressed, but woo! I know, and I, I think you read faster in general. But that's 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 fine. Um, a couple other things. I really, um, the the in terms of the ghosts and their style, I like that they were kind of like the the like when you go to a car dealership and the things are blowing around. Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. <laughs> so they're like that at first, and then when you get to know them and you get closer to them um, and open up a bottle of um, just product placement because they didn't put it in here, but it's Fanta. When you open <laughs> Fanta, they come and they become more like skeleton-like and stuff. Uh, that was an interesting contract, contrast. I think I like that. Um, yeah, this could be a long commercial for Fanta and Wanna Fanta and like I'm almost thinking of some of more of the cheesy Coke commercials. <laughs> I was like this is the Fanta version of this. Well it, it probably would have gone over better than that Pepsi commercial with the Kardashian that happened earlier this year. I don't think I saw that and I probably don't want to. Yeah, I'm not going to rehash it now. Nope. You, no, you, you don't need to go there. Google it if you feel you need to know. You don't. I'm going to try to forget. Go that. for it. <laughs> about it. Um, I also really liked the use of color and that's why I was like, you need to mention the, the person who did the coloring in this book because I like the contrast between the darkness and the ghosts and sort of the color that was used, the greens and the blues and sort of almost like the ocean type colors for them. And then when you get to the party, it's more colorful. You've got the Papel Picado, which is the, the cut tissue paper decorations. I like that the lettering, like when they tell the timeline is made out of those and each letter is a different piece of paper. Um, so yeah, I just really like the use of color. Um, in the this book. the color choices are really good, and also the the coloring does a really good job of uh, of sh of doing darkness and doing shadows because the this is not a book that does black like real true black. There's no heavy inks mm -hmm. in this, but it does still at the appropriate times give a real good sense of darkness just through the coloring alterations and and how shadow is is dimming 
things and, and having light sources and, and all of that. It's, it's, it is quite well done. And I do want to say I like that it really focused on the sister story as opposed to getting too much into like, oh, here's how Kat is struggling at a new school and here are the issues she's having with friends and stuff because there is a lot of that out there in terms of graphic novels aimed at this age group and there's kind of a reason we've chosen not to read too many of them. I, I will absolutely say, as much as I complained about the tropes and the cliche of like her relationship with Carlos, I was so grateful that when when there's a segment that is like her first day at school or whatever, I, I groaned starting it and then it was like, oh, she makes friends immediately and everything's fine. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> that, that, that was a huge relief. Side note, I love how shocked and like surprised that Maya acts that she actually makes friends and how much she mentions it like multiple times like oh my gosh Kat actually has friends which like she leaves her friends and is texting her friends when they leave this old town so it's not like she didn't have them but I it's just well I confess I'm an only child but I could totally see like a sibling being like wow you have friends really you <laughs> I love that your imaginary sibling is just as sassy and sarcastic as you are. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> there is a lot of sarcasm and sassiness to be spread around in my family. I, I come by it naturally. Okay. So. so, I mean, I think it, it moves along at a good place. It's, I, it, it oversteps its um, suspension of disbelief maybe a little bit at the end, but it, it still ends on a really nice emotional note it's got some good feels moments it's pretty good stuff but there's something that we've kind of oh before oh, i get there before I we do get there i want to say that i really like some of the details she puts in where she is obviously referencing something well known but um calls it by another name so like um there is and here's several of the mentions there is a double back burger which is pretty clearly in and out burger yep um there is um what is the song that they keep singing oh that references let it, it go it's a but it's reference to let it go yeah because um, it's even referenced as a princess oh it's like let it out let it out yes <laughs> that's maya keeps singing and she's obsessed with this song and everything and this music and so it's let it out and it's very clearly let it go which i think she does a great job of little details like that that kids will instantly get and know what she's referring to but then she you know she doesn't have to get into copyright issues as much so yeah. well done reina there um you want me to Go for this now. Yeah, so the thing we've we've been dancing around and I had to kind of stop Liz from starting to get into, she did that thing that she does that I don't do, which is research and background and things of that nature. So what do we got on this? Well, let me start out um, by explaining sort of my personal connection to the book. So. Um, I studied abroad in Mexico in college, and so, and I also studied, like, the Day of the Dead. I was there for the Day of the Dead and everything. So some of this, um, I could connect to, um, like, the Papel Picado and, like, the marigolds being used and the ofrendas and things like that. 
um, made me a little nostalgic and I was like, yeah, these are nice. And there were, um, I think at the party, they were in folklorico dresses, um, which I did some ballet folklorico dancing as well in college. So I was like, oh, it's the colorful skirts that I love. So that all made me very happy. And like, I was like, oh, okay, good memories. Yeah, but there is cultural appropriation throughout this book. Um, Raina is white. Um, and she is write, writing a story about a biracial family. And um, again, these girls um, are sort of getting to know this town, which is a mission town in Northern California. They see these ghosts that speak Spanish. Now, the, if it was really a mission town there, these ghosts would not be super happy. Mm, yeah. And they also probably wouldn't speak Spanish. They would speak their indigenous um, Native American language because why would they speak the language of their oppressors? Um, some of the details are a little much. Like, it's a little too much. Like, we have the Day of the Dead. Like, look. The boy's last name is Calavera. He's going, which is skeleton or, um, so we're going to teach you all about ghosts and skeletons and it's a little too obvious. Um, there is a very obvious reference when they're in the farmer's market to the artwork of Jose Guadalupe Posada. Like there's actually the, his artwork, his etching there, and they do not mention that artist by name. And then later on, um, Kat dresses up like that character and, or that painting, not that painting, that etching, that print, um, which to some people, um, could be like blackface, you know, like this mm. is a very famous painting, which is, and one of the articles I read was a point that the author made. Um, and just to not mention the artist's name, like, as an author, come on, like, how long, how hard would that be to be like, oh, that is the work of blah, 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 like, one of her friends could mention it. Like, just give him credit, okay? <laughs> like, it's very clearly that style of artwork. You have an opportunity to teach children about this artist. Take a minute and do it, please. Um, what else? Again, like just the whole idea that like another, um, and we will link to these, some of these articles. In terms of visiting a real mission, it would be a tourist trap. It would not be abandoned. And, you know, things like that. Um, what else? Okay, let me look through. <laughs> oh. Now, he, here's sort of my big question in regards yes. to these kinds of issues. Mm -hmm. How accurate is the depiction, not of the festivities, but of the interactions between the living and the dead relative to what the actual belief around this holiday is? Mm. It depends. I think it's a little more of a serious, formal, like, family celebration and honoring the dead and reconnecting to the dead and sort of lighting their way back. So there is some aspects of joy to it. 
Okay. I would agree. I don't think it's like quite the big party that it's mm. depicted as. And that, I mean, that's sort of because I, I get everything you're saying, and and yes, it it bears mentioning that in this case, um, uh, Raina Telgemeier is writing about a culture that is not her own. Um, she does appear to have grown up around it, but you know that's that's not the same thing as mm -hmm. actually existing within that culture. Mm -hmm. So, the, but the the big thing for me, um, and this is not to disregard anything you just said, but sort of the big overhanging question for me becomes, you know, how how did how well did she honor what the actual belief and tone of of this thing actually is, and if it was altered, is it in a way that is not completely contradictory to to the intent and the mood and the belief of the day of the dead and 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 things adjacent to it because that because that and again that's not saying none of this other stuff matters but that to me would be the big thing like if she if she got that wrong then it's like well crap well here's the issue with that Okay. Is it is a major holiday. Mm -hmm. Think about in terms of like Christian holidays. People celebrate those holidays very different according to family, according to even where they live, mm -hmm. because there might be other cultural aspects that they've kind of woven into that. Okay. Um, so I can't say no, this isn't exactly how they would celebrate it there may be some towns, there may be some places okay. that celebrate it like this. And I've never seen the Day of the Dead celebrated in the American Southwest, so I don't know. Um, I've seen it celebrated in Mexico, and I would say it's a little more serious. There's more, like, there's more time spent in, like, graveyards, which I didn't really see them doing. Um, a lot of... Um, I just wish they had done a little more about, like, the tradition of it and why they use marigolds and how it's sort of, like, to light the way of the dead and, um, okay. it's kind of like they skimmed along some of the aspects but didn't go deep enough. And I get that there's a lot going on in this story. Um, so do we think the issue is, and and i mean you you read you read the articles and the responses and the and the you know m most of which i believe were written by people who are actually of this culture mm -hmm. and of this heritage latinx people yeah yeah who and obviously they have way more grounds to say anything than either of us do yes um side note we are both very white yeah <laughs> we're both very white and we live in vermont so we're we're like uber white um mm -hmm. but is it fair to say is would it be fair to characterize the criticisms that you saw primarily as not being that she got stuff wrong but that she wasn't as comprehensive or inclusive in the details as she could or perhaps should have been so is it is it more of an issue of you didn't put as much in 
as you should have, or is it an issue of what you put in is wrong? It's, I would say it's more she didn't go far enough. And because okay. she is, she is looking through a white lens, she has to be more careful and she has to do her research and she has to realize well, I mean, she doesn't have to. I'm being very hard on Reyna. I do really <laughs> like her, and I do, and I've met her. So, sorry, Reyna. Not that you remember me at all, because you, like, you signed 3,000 books that day, but... She, she's going she's gonna to send you a personalized angry letter. But um, she has to realize that, like, or we have to realize as an audience that this is a story about a biracial Latinx family that is told through a white lens. And it it's pretty obvious if you look at certain aspects of it. And I do think certain things, I will say, like in terms of the setting and making an, a missionary town, but making the ghost speak Spanish and seem to be happy and not highlighting and I'm not saying she has to go super dark with it. I think that is in a way wrong. And that was shortchanging that history in okay. a very drastic way. Okay. I will not, I'm not saying that she did Day of the Dead completely wrong, but she picking the setting she did, she could have gone somewhere else and did somewhere, but picking a missionary town, I don't think was the best idea, okay. if that makes sense. Okay. That so, I think is, besides not giving Posada credit, is probably my, my personal biggest issue with that. You will see in some of the things we link, there are other issues that other people have, but to me, those two are the glaring faults. Okay. So it's it's less about the beliefs that she's putting out there and more about what sort of the elephant in the room that she doesn't address because of the specific setting she actually chose. That and just give the man credit. Well, okay, yes. That, <laughs> sorry, uh, that, sorry. That it's one, a sticking point for me. That, that one I'll just give you. So do you think, um, at least as far as the criticisms that that you read that that hit hardest for you would it have made more sense if she was not going to delve into the darker aspects of a missionary town if she just should have said it anywhere else that just had a notable latinx population and would have been celebrating this day and just not had it be a missionary town i would have been more forgiving of it yes so here's an issue, another issue in general, and why this is so important. So I recently went to a conference where we talked about diversity in children's books. And in 2015, in terms of, these are characters from diverse backgrounds in children's literature, so I think this is a pretty big age range, um, 2.4 of the books out there, children's books, are Latinx. Latinx. Um, and in terms of the population, the population of Hispanics or Latinx people in, I think this was, yes, 2015. So the same year. Same year is 17.6 of the nation's total population. So we're not even 
not we're not even close. we're not even close to um proportional representation no not at all and so mm. when you have a book like this where you're depicting these characters because it, there are so few books that depict characters you really do need to try to do it as correctly not correctly but as in a sensitive manner and in an aware manner and really well thought out because there's not enough out there so each of these books that has a character carries more weight well it's <laughs> and i know you know this because you've you've talked about this with like the wonder woman movie. I, I did i did a video a couple of months back on which you can find on the council of geeks youtube channel talking about proportional representation and using the wonder woman movie as a as an example and yeah i um i mean obviously i was talking about female superheroes so but the principle was the same whereas if the representation was even close to proportional mm -hmm. there wouldn't be this weird obligation on you know whether it's something like wonder woman in terms of holding up um female and feminist values or something like ghosts and you know holding true to the the history and the beliefs and all these other things of this of the of the latinx pop population it wouldn't even be a problem if there weren't so few of them yeah because the fewer there are the more pressure there is which in a way and, and that's not that's not me saying that that it makes ghosts or anything else above criticism but it does sort of highlight the fact of if we didn't have a representation problem, we actually wouldn't even have to worry about this nearly as much. We could be like, this gets it wrong, but here are all these wonderful books that say so much. And you know what? And it's the fact that we can't do that, which is the real problem. And we are going to try to point you in the direction of some of those, but uh, yeah, proportional representation is a huge issue on many fronts as especially in children's literature. So. so I don't know where that actually leaves us. Yeah, that's kind of, of this this like wah, 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 somber. I mean, as a, if I step away from all that, as like a kid's graphic novel that teaches about, a, it's a great sister story. It's fun. Um, I really like her as an illustrator. I can say all that, but I can't I can't walk away from all these other aspects and I can't walk away from the cultural appropriation and the things that that she just didn't delve into enough or really address. So, it's I think for And as a librarian, as my I'm realizing now that I've read this book and I know that my kids have read it, I do want to go back and talk with them as like some of the classes where this more and more students have read it. I do want to address some of that. So yeah. for for me, yeah, again, if if you can remove it from the context, it's light and it's breezy and it's got fun characters and it. But you put the context back in, and again, I'm I'm not quite as harsh on it as you are, but I think I think it's because I'm more sensitive to not crapping on the the beliefs and the traditions and not i don't want to say i'm less sensitive to the history but i 
I would have gotten more upset if I'd found out that what she sort of showed as being the beliefs and the behind the Day of the Dead were like a total 180 from the entire purpose of the thing. That that would have been like, well, hell with this. So I'm not quite and as again, worked up as you are, but I I yeah, they're looking into the background. Unfortunately, does cast a shadow over this book. Yeah, it does. It casts a very long shadow. A long, like, floppy, well, not a floppy, happy uh, car dealership shadow. <laughs> uh, um, but yes. So. so, well, that's, so that's ghosts <laughs> and us landing in a really weird, sort of difficult, <laughs> complex conclusion. Like, like, a thumb up for sisters thumb down about the cultural appropriation yeah. and not really getting the history of the area that you're trying to pick right that's me that's what i'm saying i i think where we end up landing is and i really i hate using this word but it does feel appropriate here it's like it is a well-written story but problematic yes yes those certainly exist <laughs> <laughs> they do and so that is going to wrap us up for this one, folks. So thanks so much for joining us on this first episode of the Punch Like a Girl podcast for the Fire and Water Network. We are going to be monthly. Um, we hope that you will go to fireandwaterpodcast.com and check out some of the links that um, Liz mentioned. That we will link to some of the um, some of the articles that she looked into with some more of the background on all of this so you can look into that if you want to form your own opinion you don't have to share ours um and we also want to hear from you leave comments what do you what what do you think about this story what do you think about the show since we're new here um next month the plan is for something decidedly different from this um because next month one of the major film releases is going to be thor ragnarok and we think that'd be the perfect time to take a look at Thor, Goddess of Thunder. Woo, yeah. That's right. Let's appropriate some Norse culture. Yeah. yeah that's my culture. Mm -hmm. There you go. <laughs> we got standing for that. Uh, yeah, we're awful. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> Take that part out. <laughs> nah. Punch Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production. This show is presented on the Fire and Water Network, and feedback can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at punchlikeagirl1. The theme music is composed and recorded by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.